You're listening to The Machine, a podcast from Waterford Institute of Technology. My name is Rob O'Connor. I'm a lecturer in the Department of Computing and Mathematics here at WIT. Today we're going to have a chat with uh, a former student of ours who has gone on to have a very interesting career in a variety of different ways, uh, Mr. Danny O'Dwyer, who we have over today doing a seminar for students and staff about digital storytelling and his work at Noclip, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Also in the studio, we have Colm Dunphy, who is a former lecturer of Danny's and a regular <laughs> on the podcast. So Danny's going to cut the back off. Colm, tell him what a terrible time he had. Lovely. All of that. Uh, this is the first podcast back of the new semester. So Happy New Year, everyone, even though it's the middle of February. <laughs> right. So, Danny... How are you? I'm great. Are you, I, 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 is my voice still working? Because we've spent a lot of today talking. Yeah, so Danny's been, we, we've, we've uh, he, you used a phrase earlier today called squeezing the last juice out of the orange. <laughs> and here we are at the end of a long day of a seminar and we're going to squeeze the last bit of Danny juice that we can yeah. get. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're originally from Waterford. Yes. Uh, you're now based in California, yes. in Oakland in California, where you run your own filmmaking company would I call it? I guess that? yeah video yeah. production video company. production company you can call me a YouTuber as well that often applies more so no you're too old to be a YouTuber <laughs> <laughs> um, right but you're so you're from Waterford originally you grew up here mm. and you went to college here yeah um, could you maybe reflect on what kind of an impact that had on you and the work that you're doing now sure yeah I, I really loved growing up in Waterford if I could pick somewhere um to to have grown up with I know a lot of people don't feel that way about where they grew up but um, I really liked it here I think it was the perfect size town at least for for uh, for for me to kind of expand my horizons and to try different types of work, try and figure out what type of person I was, what work I like doing, what, what hobbies I like doing. Um, it's kind of big enough that there's a lot of options, uh, but not too big that you're sort of a little fish in a big pond, you know. I got involved in local radio and local theatre and I made websites on the side and, and you know, worked in local shops and and met people that way and I just really liked the uh, opportunities that were here and then when I was deciding where to go uh, to college there was kind of two things that came in one I really I wasn't I felt like there was still so much to do in Waterford even after whatever 18 years of being here um, and the other one was the new course that uh, I believe Colin you put together um, you were ahead of it when I when I was doing it all those years oh, ago <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was multimedia applications development um, which was a pretty broad course uh, I was probably getting involved from the web development side of it um, uh, but it was actually like broader than I expected and there were strengths and weaknesses to that um, but all things being equal I really liked uh how broad it was because of the different types of work, again, I got to do as a result of it. Stuff that I hadn't thought about uh, working in before. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's loads to talk about there if you want to get into it. But um, that's kind of why I stuck around. And, and you know, also that and my mammy's dinners, which I had <laughs> <laughs> a lot of five days of the week. Right. Yeah. So what was the best thing about going to college here? And what was the worst thing about going to college here? The worst thing was the parking. <laughs> you made a feature uh, which, of that yeah, <laughs> which, uh, which hasn't gotten any better I'm afraid. no I cycled for the first years because I wasn't too far but then my parents moved out to Ballygunner um, which is which is interesting because my dad's a man sign man he used to be the chairman of the club so we're, we were in enemy territory um, but it was too far to cycle so uh, I, I had to drive 
Um, my mum's Fiat Punto, the tractor as we called it. Um, uh, probably that, I'd say. I don't know. I, I don't think I'm particularly academic. Um, I, I, I'm... I'm quite a control freak and I think my attendance probably wasn't great. Um, Hang but, on, I check. Hang on. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, I, but I always felt that like um, the, uh, the faculty were understanding of um, the kind of like as long as I got a lot of the projects as long as I did the work that that um that they they weren't too tough on me and I always appreciated that. Um I think I just wasn't particularly mature maybe at the time. Um I think I think there were aspects maybe of uh web development which I would have liked to have gotten into a little bit deeper but I think mm. I was already I'd been doing it since I was 15 so I was already a few years ahead of everyone else so like I wanted to dive into PHP and stuff like that. So I ended up teaching myself that on the side anyway. Um just be somebody might be listening on PHP what do yeah. you this is a number of years ago when you were in college it wasn't yesterday. No you know? this yeah. is yeah this was You have grayer hair than I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like yeah particulars of web development that I didn't know at the time. Yeah. Um but what what I loved about it was there was always something new to learn, whether it was, you know, we did a lot of audio production, which was totally new to me, stuff that I still use today when I'm uh, producing podcasts or doing interviews on camera. Um, there was a lot of creative collaboration with other people doing project work. Uh, they did a good job of mixing us up, um, putting us on teams with where we were we were strong or weaker or had to rely on each other. Um, I enjoyed the project work a lot because the, the, oftentimes when you're in uh, third level education, it feels like you're not done until you're, you've finished everything and you've left it. But we always had these like projects that were maybe a couple of months or maybe the whole year, maybe half a year. And you always felt like you'd made something at the end of it. You had something to show for yourself, mm. which I think is really good when you're, when you're starting off because it builds confidence and kind of helps you figure out what you want to do as well. Yeah. And after you finished, where did you end up? You worked as a web developer for a number of years, was it? Yeah, I did. I went to Cork for a year to work in HMV on Patrick Street just for just for the fun of it. That was, that was Which was laugh. your career in the music business, was it? Well, yeah, over and done with. <laughs> H- HMVs as well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, went, I moved, moved to London to work as a web developer. Um, and I, a part of the reason I moved to London was because I was trying to break into the world of uh, video games reporting, I guess, uh, mm. games coverage. And that's where all the jobs were for that. Uh, there was a number of companies that were based there. And after a couple of years, I eventually got my foot in the door, left games, uh, left web development, um, making websites um, and, and moved into uh, interviewing people about games and covering games, reviewing games. Mm. And so you had, uh, so you're working for uh, GameSpot, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. So GameSpot, and you were doing a lot of, uh, as you said, interviews and reviews and things like that. Were there any of the skills that you learned from multimedia that were transferable over? I think a lot of them are indirect skills. Some of them are direct, like audio production stuff was, I had a leg up, I knew all that worked. Um, we didn't do much video in the course then. I see now, I was looking at the curriculum that there is a bunch more video, which also makes sense because even YouTube wasn't a thing when I was doing it. You know, it was before a lot of that was going on. The internet wasn't fast enough to be doing <laughs> all that video stuff. Not um, over the computers. <laughs> no, ab- ab- absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think what I learned a lot about is that when you're working in multimedia, which is a very broad term for basically anything video or audio or graphic design or animation, anything like that, um, you tend to be using a lot of sort of bespoke tools and also doing a lot of like jerry-rigging of setting things up, fixing computer bits and plugging in wires and doing all that. And 
just the general ability to problem solve those things, I think, was really useful when I was working at GameSpot because you were doing things like setting up cameras or lights or or setting up computers to capture gameplay or uh, setting up software to record interviews. All that sort of stuff was things that I had, you know, f- at the time I left, I was in it for four years or four years of college experience and um, tinkering with that sort of stuff. Mm. So I was, I was confident with it. Do you know what I mean? There's an interesting point that you make there, actually, because I don't know how you feel about this column, but I often think that one of the best skills somebody can come out of, certainly one of the computing degrees of the mm. ones that we're involved in, is that problem solving ethos and, and the have a go idea that I don't necessarily need to know how all this works in advance. I can kind of figure it out along the way and I might make some mistakes, but I'll get there eventually. I don't know. How do you Definitely, feel about that? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, problem solving is it really stands to you. It's it's not a thing you read a book and you have the answer at the end. Yeah. It's you've got to go through all those failures. I think you mentioned today as well. And the more you fail, the more you learn. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely. You don't learn. You don't learn without making mistakes. If you mm. did, if you did everything perfectly, then what would you ever need to do? Learn. You know, one does. And yeah, I think it's a big part of um, my college experience was kind of divided into two things. One was trying to pick up those skills. Um, and then the other thing was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And that, again, was another aspect of uh, that course. And it's not every course is like that, but I'm seeing it more and more in third level education that there's there's a broader sort of remit with some of these classes, um, which is really important because it's tough when you're you know, a teenager or a person in your young 20s to try and figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life or try and figure out what you want to do for the next five years. Yeah. You know, a lot of my peers, I feel like, moved, pivoted, maybe changed a little bit of what they wanted to do. Some stayed in their lane, but a lot of times you don't. And I think having the ability to explore that and figure out what you want to do is as important as learning how to do something. Yeah, but sure, I'm in my 40s now and I still don't know what, right. I, want, what I want to do when I grow up. And uh, it's good. And I think, when you're, I think when you're younger, that's, that's a fearful thing. Mm. That you feel like the people around me who know what they want to do with their life, they've got to figure it out. Mm. And I need to figure out what I want to do. And there's a certain aspect of that which maybe gives you a sense of security. But knowing that like... We're all trying to figure it out all the time. We're not like the previous generation where people had jobs for lives. You know, that's kind of that's kind of gone now. We, it's mm. it's it's more exciting. It's it's more trepidatious in some ways and difficult maybe, but but it's also more interesting these days. You can kind of keep evolving yourself and trying different things. Colin, you're yeah. nodding away there. Yeah, just saying you're not stuck with what you decided when you were 17 anymore. Mm. You know, mm. um, and the course you can do a course and come out with a qualification, but go in a million different directions. Right. You know, and, that, and that qualification is useful even regardless of the context of it. Just having that It's qualifi- your passport. Totally. You know, to say um, that you can do it. That you've stuck it out. You, you mentioned about your, your own colleagues who've gone pivoted. You know, uh, in my class, I think there was, there was one person out of 72 that's still programming. Right. You know, and I did yeah. a computer programming course. Yeah. So, Yes, you, you, you know, you, that gets you in the door, it gets you your passport to get started on your career, but you're going to go in different directions. Yeah. So. Mm. And, a lot of, and it's not like you throw it all away. Like a lot of those skills you pick up along the way are transferable or, or they're the first couple of steps on a, on a, long, on a taller ladder that you're mm. climbing. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's really important. Or actually even just reflecting on what you said earlier about kind of YouTube not existing. Right. And even if you knew what you wanted to do, the job you do now today with the no clip... <laughs> Didn't exist yeah. back in those days. I mean, the idea of making long-form video game documentaries right. would have been for television, or you know that broadcast TV that nobody watches anymore. Yeah. Well, no, people do watch it for sports, but you know, you get <laughs> you get that that 
there may be industries or, or avenues that don't exist yet that might be there. I mean, we often hear about the death of the job and robots are going to take all our jobs. And, right. and maybe that's true in certain respects. But it also means that there's, I'm an optimistic person, so I think that allows opportunities to open up elsewhere. Yeah, you know, like almost every aspect of the work that I do now, which is the work we do now is we put videos up on YouTube that are basically, we go to game studios and we interview people about how they make video games all around the world. And we make these, you know, most of them are pretty long, some are shorter documentaries that go up for free and the whole thing is crowdfunded. So like none of that would have, YouTube didn't exist. That sort of level of depth of talking about games didn't really exist. The crowdfunding model didn't exist. And also the technology to allow us to do any of this with a small crew didn't exist. Like mm. you've worked in video and audio con for a number of years. Like yeah. it now, not just the, the, the technology is easier to use, but also the cost of it has gone down so much more. It used to be so prohibitively expensive for somebody solo to do this stuff. And it's, it's, it can still be pricey enough, but it's, it's so much more accessible now. Absolutely. Um, I just thinking when you're speaking there, it's, it's been watching Danny's career, you know, from afar as a student, you know, mm. you were the guy that was into the computer games and then, you know, selling the computer games and then reporting about the computer games and the technology. I remember you on the radio here. And this is just a fabulous story to for all these mm. new things that didn't exist, right. that you're a, you're a success story globally. You know, this yeah. is fantastic. I, I feel very fortunate as well that the dominoes fell at the right times for me. You know what I mean? Like it could have been five years later and then maybe YouTube didn't exist or the crowdfunding didn't exist or and who like at that stage you just go in a different direction maybe and the story's written a little bit differently but it is like nobody has everything figured out especially not in college like in mm. college I knew nothing about anything like I knew I felt like I knew loads and I was willing to learn loads and I learned loads but like part of being in college is is, is not knowing things and, and leaving with so much more wealth of knowledge and then, you know, going in whatever direction that you see fit. Actually, that's an interesting one, again, is having that curious mind. And not everyone necessarily has that. Hmm. I'm always saying to students, you know, this is the time to just try out mad things. Try out things like watch a foreign language movie, you know, watch a French film, go to a jazz concert, go to a spoken word poetry gig. You know what I mean? Things that you would never have done before. Uh, Try things out. Get involved in a show. Do something. Figure out who you are. Yeah. And and it's okay if you don't like any of those things. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing like, there's there's nothing. Find something else. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You just, you get, you get closer to what you want to do. Um, yeah, totally. And it's like, and I mentioned it earlier, we were talking to the students about some of this sort of career progression stuff. Uh, like there are people like me who are like, I'm very driven by the things that I make are really important to me. I don't really know why. I don't I don't care about leaving a legacy or any. I just find it interesting to make fun projects and then walk away from them. I don't know. It just gets me up in the morning. For some people, it's more important to have a good wage and stability or to live near their parents or to live somewhere where they think they can have a good family. Or maybe it's more important for them to live abroad uh, or and go explore for a couple of years. Like the reasons you want to do things are yours and they're not good or bad reasons. Uh, you don't have to justify them. Like, just, mm. they're, they're, they are what you are and what you want to do is what you want to do and figuring out how to do that is the important thing, not sort of second-guessing what you should be doing. Um, and I think it's, you know, thankfully, I feel like the Irish economy's in a decent spot now comparatively. I feel like I was lucky I sort of left and got a job before a bunch of my friends. Like, I feel like a whole generation of my friends ended up moving to Australia or Canada or, or somewhere else to find work, especially on my friends who worked in trades, for instance. Mm. Um, and it feels at the moment, at least I live in California now, so I 
maybe don't necessarily know, but it feels like there's a lot of opportunity again and the people are, you know, taking people on for jobs at, at lower levels and, and there's so many different types of jobs again here in this country. So, um, yeah, I feel the, it feels like the world is uh, your oyster again if you're growing up in Ireland. Let's talk a little bit about starting your own company mm. because that's a big leap for anyone. You know, I mean, there's <clears throat> there's a certain amount of uh, an adventurous spirit there. There's yeah. also maybe a certain amount of foolishness, arguably. Absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, so you left working with GameSpot yeah. uh, to start up Noclip with what was a very unusual funding model, a very mm. unusual revenue stream. You're not selling anything as such. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You've no product to sell. Uh, and even in the video world, you don't rely on advertising. So you've hinted at that. Could you maybe explain what it is and how it is that you earn your living? Sure. Uh, so I uh, we operate on the crowdfunding platform Patreon, which people may or may not know. Essentially, it's a, a subscription um, a, a, a service where you... Uh, almost like a tip jar, you sort of commit to tipping a certain amount of money to a creator or a company that you like. Maybe they make a podcast or they make videos on YouTube. Maybe they do crafts or, or does every single thing is on there. Um, and you can give, you know, anything from, from one euro to whatever. So there are certain unlockables sometimes. If you give, say, 10 euro a month, then you get access to X and Y, like behind the scenes videos and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, people support us and support most creators because they think of it as a tip jar. They like the person's work and they just kind of want to give them a thumbs up, uh, help them along. Um, so basically, that's how we operate is that we have about between four and 5,000 people every month who um, chip in anywhere from one to 30 quid. Basically, most people are uh, a month to, to help us do our work, um, which comes out at about somewhere between uh, 20 and 23, $24,000 a month um, before tax. But like that's still really good to, to fund our work, to help me employ people to film stuff, uh, to pay for our flights and accommodation when we cover places, to pay for our cameras and our studio we, we rent uh, where we film. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it, it's it's the type of thing where you you know the it can feel quite scary because what if everyone tomorrow decided to pull all the money out? But we've been doing it for three and a half years now, and we've been really consistent. Like every job is seasonal when you're a freelancer, right? Like mm. people stop spending money in around Christmas, and usually it takes till February before they open their wallets again. Um, or if you worked in retail, that's a hundred percent the way it works. So most jobs are seasonal, whereas this work, it's actually weirdly consistent because you kind of you're always within the same amount which is really handy for like planning and you know we have a kind of a war chest we'll keep and then we'll spend it on a big project every few months um so it's it's actually like fairly stable i think when people ask me were you scared to do it i think i was more scared of being stuck in a job that i couldn't get out of is what the difference isn't it yeah, yeah. i guess yeah. the mentality is like we're all led by our anxieties that yeah. they they push us or they hinder us or whatever and the thing that that made me more fearful was especially because of the we won't get into it but the complexities of having a visa working in America oh sorry um, yeah because you are based in America Maybe yeah I can't, I can't you mentioned I was in California yeah. I live in Cal in Oakland which is beside San Francisco they're basically just connected via a bridge um so that's another part of it. Um, so I was so lucky. so cool to hear uh, you know a Waterford local talking about you know I live in the Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> One of my lectures here, uh, Ross Lee, is it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ross uh, uh, and his uh, his wife, who's a, uh, who's a teacher in a in in De La Salle, yeah, yeah. our teacher. They they used to they they used to tell me about they lived in San Francisco. She used to go surfing with Zach De La Rocca, <laughs> Rage Against <laughs> the Machine. Yeah. yeah. So apparently that was the that was the tale I heard. Anyway, so like. 
I remember hearing from them like, man, you get to live in the Bay Area. And especially now, like if you guys are involved in computer courses, so many Irish people end up working in, in you know, startups in the Bay Area and, and, and making their fortunes that way. It's interesting. This podcast has a pocket of listeners outside Ireland uh, and there's two areas in the States, uh, California and Texas. Oh, really? Yeah. Where in Texas, I wonder, Austin or Houston? I'm not Austin, exactly, yeah. I think yeah. it's Austin because there's a number of, I think they are, and hello to the listeners. Uh, how are you getting on? Hope you're all well. Had a nice Christmas and all that. Uh, Special shout out to Connor Ryan because I think he's responsible for the Austin, Texas. <laughs> uh, but yeah. they're based on startups that have right. started in Waterford and have then opened Brilliant. Uh, offices over in the US and elsewhere. Yeah. You have a couple of friends who've done, who have been part of companies like that who have moved mm. over a bit. Austin's a great city for that sort of stuff. There's And also with California getting more expensive a lot of people are Californians are moving to Austin uh, great food great uh, great people it's good and they have a Formula 1 track and I'm a big F1 fan so <laughs> I, I like I like visiting for that um, well, I might just go back to the work that you do in Noclip could you maybe give an example of the type of documentaries that you've produced maybe even just say what was your favourite one and what was right. it about it that you know I mean? so say somebody's never seen No Clip before they don't know what it is and obviously they're listening to the podcast and they can't just watch a trailer mm. you know could you sell it basically uh, maybe this doesn't work for the generation who are listening to this I'm not sure but used to be when you'd buy a DVD you'd get the, all the behind the scenes stuff remember you get like was <laughs> the DVD right <laughs> <laughs> you get like a, there'd be like a director commentary and a behind the scenes documentary yeah. about how they made the movie right we basically make those for games so we go to a studio we interview uh, all the people who make the game uh, we talk to them about um, you know writing the game the programming doing the gameplay doing the story doing the art doing the music and then we basically make these like fun videos that break down the game uh, from the developer's perspective and we've covered we try and cover as broad a range of games as possible so we've done everything from like Final Fantasy 14 in Japan to you know Texas we went to um, Richardson near Dallas to talk to the folks at id Software uh, about Doom games like Rocket League um, like we could go, I could go on and on The Witcher in Poland we did Hitman in Copenhagen uh, we, John Romero in Galway we went and talked about him moving over here he was one of the founding members of id Software made Doom and Wolfenstein um, so we, we kind of there's a game hopefully for everyone we kind of feel like if you play games if you go to our channel there'll be something for you big studios indie studios old games new games mm. um, and there's no shortage of them like we'll be I could be doing this till I'm 100 and we'll never <laughs> catch up with the the games that are out there uh, yeah and we try and tell stories that are as much to do with the personal nature of the people playing the game or making the games the struggles that they went through um, and ultimately like the, the problems they ran into and how they fixed those problems like that's that's kind of the bones of what we do is these really smart people who are really good at making video games um, but like anyone they run into trouble and they have to work together to figure out solutions mm. and we're kind of there looking at the finished project, product uh, a game that people are playing and going oh how did you solve this how did you solve that yeah that's one of the I'm not trying to blow smoke up your arse now right? but that's one of the things <laughs> that I like most about, about about the Noclip channel and other ones because maybe because I'm a geek right. I, I'm interested in learning how things are made I don't get to play too many video games anymore mm. because of family commitments just I've no time and they've gotten bigger than ever oh yeah, yeah they're sure. so long like yeah. a fool I decided to download the. I bought The Witcher before <laughs> The Witcher 3 before Christmas and I'll have a go at this sure I've hardly scratched the surface I think, on I think it. I paid 200 hours by the time <laughs> I finished it yeah. but, the, but what I love seeing is how it's made and I love 
even, even the way that they might approach problems. You were using a clip today in your uh, discussions about the mapping situation for Hitman yeah. and the areas that in, in, in a certain mission that somebody might have to play through and the way they were always trying to make sure that there was an out for the player so that no matter what avenue you went down you could always get out. It's stuff you don't think about when you're playing yeah. games that like the games are basically like theme park attractions. You know you go to like Disneyland or something or Tato World or whatever like they're set up in a way that is trying to shepherd you through to give you the best experience um, and the problem with games is that they're interactive so you can break that you can go off range really easily yeah. in a video game and they have to account for that and every game that's made is like redesigning chess imagine if you had a chessboard and you had to like come up with you know seven eight new types of chess pieces and to make that a fun game that's easy to understand that's balanced that isn't like they're all queens and <laughs> you can kill someone right away you can win the game right away um that's what game design is like. It's it's problem solving by like really smart people and it's problem solving around play, like about having crack, you know what I mean? Like having <laughs> a good time. So like what's not to love about that, you know? Yeah. What has been your favourite documentary that you've made? Um... I love I love my children for all for different reasons. You know? <laughs> they um, all have lovely bottoms. So. <laughs> there, yeah, there was one I really liked, uh, which was... It was probably the most selfish one I did, which was a better game called Half-Life, which is a game that is sort of lives in infamy in the world of video games because uh, it was supposed to, like the, 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 the final chapter of this game never came out and everyone's been looking for a sequel for, you know, Donkey's Ears. Half-Life 2 came out in 2004. Um, and you're going to announce when it's right, released exactly. just now. So <laughs> the idea was to basically, like, we wanted to do something, the 20th anniversary was coming up and we wanted to do something to celebrate it because fans of the game were so, sort of left blowing in the wind because the creator of the game is asleep at the wheel. They can't really talk about it because they're not making a new one or at least they weren't when we were doing the doc. Um, so instead of actually talking to the studio because we had no one to talk to, instead we talked to people who were influenced by it. So we ended up talking to a bunch of like really big developers of other games like the creative lead on God of War, the creative lead on Titanfall or Apex Legends, which is really big. Um, people who worked on projects around it or Borderlands uh, a bunch of people who had, were students when the game came out and they made mods around that game which then helped them break into making video games professionally um, and then I sort of went on my own vision quest and we went to uh, the to Arizona to film on the mesas because that's where the game was set like it was just good fun it was like a road trip movie and then at the end we basically said that the point the arc of the story was like Half-Life now, now belongs to the fans. It belongs to everyone else because it's it's been it's never coming back and uh, it's, you know, people have taken the reins of it and made their own art uh, in the vacuum that this created. Like, in a way, the fact that no game came out was good because all these other interesting projects came. And then they announced one about two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> and the code, yeah, the code was that was, they didn't know Half-Life 3 was a Half-Life Alex. Yeah, it's a VR game that's coming out in March, but it's it's still pretty cool that they're doing it. So, yeah. so I'm hopeful we might might be able to get into Valve at some stage to maybe do something on that. We'll see. That's my cool. dream. Colm, maybe it might just, like, because, okay, you were Danny's lecturer back in the day, but was there any one aspect that you learned today from Danny's talk? Yeah, I actually made a few notes when you were talking and uh, we were talking to some of the other people that were there at the class and one word that came up actually was foraging. Right, yeah. You know, that, that stuck with a lot of people who, who were at your talk today, the, the concept of foraging for ideas mm. uh, when you were going into these companies to interview them. So that, that was really interesting and, and the whole 
uh, your insight into storytelling and how you tell the stories for, for each of your um, uh, videos that you're making. Um, and, and also the, the idea of destination. So you, you know what you want, where you want to end up, but not necessarily when you start. Yeah, it's 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 about, I guess, like, um, thanks so much. It's, it's, it's I guess... You're the, very polite. <laughs> <laughs> I was raised well. Um, yeah, it's, it's it, when you go to a studio to like, you know, let's say Final Fantasy, like, I know that we're going to make a story about how the game was released and wasn't very good and then they brought in a new creative lead and uh, they turned the game around and then it was a big success, right? So we know that, but I don't really know anything else except for that. I don't know how people felt about it. I don't know the decisions they made that fixed it. I can see it from the outside, but I don't know what the inside, Mm -hmm. inside the company, how they came to that. I don't know the culture. I've never been to Japan before. I don't know the culture of a studio there, how people work, um, what's important to them in their job, what they like about the game, um, all that sort of stuff. So the foraging aspect is kind of just going in and collecting as much as you can, like being open to what they want to tell you, not going in and being like, okay, what did you think about this? And what did you think about this gameplay thing? And what did you think about this level? Like being a bit more open-ended and letting them sort of fill in the blanks. Um, that's really important, I think, because you, we the, the whole point of this stuff is we don't know the story and we're asking them the story. So most of the time when we interview people, we're quite hands-off. We kind of just try and keep it chatty and conversational. Not not unlike this, except I speak a lot less. <laughs> so, yeah, but you're the subject uh, this time. But So you're trying to turn a black box into a white box. Right. Or maybe uh, a slightly grey box. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to see fully how the sausage is made because that gets quite boring. It's about coding and, and, and a lot of uh, long hours and, and, and engineering type work. Yeah, over years. Yeah. So, But you get that little insight into it uh, which is what I've found fascinating about about the no clip documentaries uh, which are I suppose we should give out a shout to the YouTube channel YouTube uh, no clip just find you yeah. find it very easy and all the documentaries they're, they're all freely available irrespective uh, as to whether you're a Patreon mm. or not um, and there was something else about the, the video channel which we learned uh, today which is it was great and some of the listeners would be interested in uh, you know there's a lot of young people out there trying to ha- uh, create their own YouTube channels mm. and you've got some fantastic uh, videos up there technical videos on, on uh, how to use the equipment how to get the lighting mm. uh, composing your shots and and on a budget which was, yeah. was fantastic I can't believe the quality you're getting you know with with the the equipment you're using is, is you know you, you've gone out of your way to say look this is budget equipment because it has come down yeah it's uh we, we try as best as possible the, the one part that's probably the most expensive is the main camera we use but uh we've also got options in there about like other smaller more more affordable stuff you can use and a lot of the stuff you can use your phone you know if you've got a phone with a video camera on it it's the best thing about making videos is just making them you know what I mean? Chances are, if you listen to this, you've got a camera phone. You've been making videos for years anyway. They've just been small ones on, on, yeah. on social media or whatever. You know. Mm. Um, but yeah, we do. We've uh, we've tutorials up there to kind of help to to demonstrate how simple the way we film is because uh, our stuff looks really good and it's mostly due to my um, uh, partner in crime, Jeremy Jane, who's not here to speak for himself at the moment. Um, uh, he uh, films and colors uh, most of our work, um, but. It's, you know, we're a pretty small team and we the equipment we use for lighting, especially, and for audio is pretty basic. So, um, yeah, we kind of were happy to share all that because, yeah, it's, there's no, this stuff shouldn't be mystified in any way. It's not rocket science, really. It's the same as anything. Once you've spent enough years doing something or enough time doing something you enjoy, you just kind of get better at it. Mm. But also, and again, not trying to flatter you 
uh, irresponsibly. Away, <laughs> uh, but you, you obviously have a head for content. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You obviously have a head for this is working, that's a good story, that's interesting, that's not. Which is a bit of a sixth sense, I suspect. Or it's a selfish sense, or it's like mm. I'm making stuff that I'd watch. Like, that's kind of where I started out doing it. And then mm. then you see your own rough edges. You know, when you're making stuff, mm. you're, there's no better critic. Well, not always the case, but like oftentimes people who are creative are very, very critical of their own work. And that's how you rough, you know, soften off those rough edges and find processes that work. And then like, you know, I have a wife and child, find processes that get you out of the office at five o'clock. You know, like you just, you end up like figuring out ways to be more efficient and to 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 keep the work fresh as well, to keep it interesting. Hmm. There was another phrase that you used earlier today when you were speaking with the students was about finishing things, yeah. shipping things, which is kind of more of the American term. But I thought that was a very, very interesting one because we're all full of great ideas, but they're, you know, they, they don't, we don't finish them. Yeah. You know, you don't write that book. You don't record that album. You don't do that website. You don't make that app. You don't do whatever it is that you're, your, your great work that you're going to do. Mm. Whereas you're actually doing it. You're taking, right, we're going to make a documentary about Half-Life or we're going to go to Poland about and, and mm. talk to the lads in CD or CD projects. Yeah. I know you're saying the pronunciation is very important <laughs> there. I've always said CD projects. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realise I was insulting them. So <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, you know, but you're actually doing it. And I think that sense of completion or that drive for completion is perhaps, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, mm. perhaps that's, your biggest asset? I think uh, it could be. I think it's something that I certainly learned and adapted here uh, at WIT from doing so many. Like, I don't think we had a book in the four years we were uh, in this course, Mm. but we had lots of projects and you had to finish your projects. And when you finished your project, you had your documentation and you had it running. And if it was rough around the edges fine but it had to be completed right and I felt like that was a really um, that's a really important skill and the way you say is well totally true a lot of people do want to write their first novel but sometimes you just need to write a poem just finish it get Mm. the first thing done or like you want to write your your album just do it song or do an EP or or just do it live like we we can often um, snooker ourselves by which is a term I can't use in America because they don't know what snooker is by by setting the bar too high or by trying to be a perfectionist like nothing is perfect that way Mm. you know there's no such thing as a perfectionist it's just somebody who's got an anxiety about showing something they made to somebody and there's no and there's no saying that you ever have to show anything you can make lots of things and keep them to yourself as well like illustrations there's a reason why so many people are self-taught at illustrating it's because you don't need anyone else to see it you just draw on your notepad and it goes in the, the bin afterwards and people just get better at it sometimes all you need to get better at something isn't isn't sometimes it's learnings, sometimes it's education, uh, sometimes it's being mentored, uh, but a lot of times also it's just time, just doing the thing and completing stuff, completing. Because the hardest thing about doing anything is finishing it. Like anything in life, the most difficult thing is wrapping it up and putting the bow on it. It's the, oftentimes the least entertaining, the least sexy part of the work, um, but it's so important because in doing that, you really see what the thing is you made, and especially when it comes to the work we do. 
uh, or programming anything interactive or a video that people see, you don't really know what you've made until you've heard, seen someone watch it, seen someone play it or heard what they have what they think about it. So that's why I look at the YouTube comments after we've done something <laughs> to see what exactly did I make this time. <laughs> do you read the comments? I do, yeah. We have uh, we moderate pretty heavily if people are disruptive. Um, mm. So, uh, But we get criticism and criticism is helpful. Some criticism... You're like, oh, well, we didn't do that because of this or what, this or would have been too expensive or it was a creative decision. Um, but uh, a lot of times, yeah, it helps. It helps a lot. But, yeah. you know, that's easy for me to say, you know, I'm a, I'm a white guy on the internet. Sometimes it's a little bit easier than it is for other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, your, your, your kind of work philosophy there, I think, is, uh, I think it's quite quite credit to you um, I, there's, there's no mystery great mystery in it but it's nice to hear it articulated mm. so well sometimes you know and again Colm I think you agree with that you're nodding yeah definitely and and what really comes across you know I think in the whole interview that you've given and, and in your presentation is your passion for what you're doing mm. you know and your authenticity you know it just comes across and it, it's um, for, for people who are looking to, to go to college and pick a career you know it just proves I think that whatever it is you're into if you're that committed to it and passionate about it, you'll get there in the end. Yeah, mm. and I and I want to note as well, just so people, because it's easy now, kind of looking from where I am backwards to say that, like, oh, I've done very well. Like, I'm proud of what I've done, and I'm I'm happy in life, and that's way more important than anything else. But it's also, I think, important to say that I wasn't like the top of the class here. Mm. I wasn't the bottom of the class either. There were subjects I was good at, web development and stuff that I felt confident in, and there were subjects that I wasn't good at and I struggled in. And I would repeated exams here and there, and uh, you know, but that that doesn't so like. I, you know, if there's anything that I've, I've had a good amount of favor in my, in, in, in my career, uh, I've taken opportunities. I prioritized my career over other things in life, which I was lucky came to fruition over my personal life and where I lived was very much dictated by what I want to do career wise, which again, isn't ideal for a lot of people, but like, just let, you know, like you don't have to be, it's not about being the best. It's about finding what you want to do and then just making stuff that you're happy with like from that you find your own kind not to get all Jerry Maguire about it but you find your own type of success you know what I mean mm. it's not about it's not about the house you have or it's not about where you live or it's not about uh, you know something you made the, the fans you have or anything like that or, or it's like contentment is, and it's and you'll never be content unless you find out kind of what you, what what makes you smile and what gets you up in the morning Sometimes that's work, sometimes that's family, sometimes that's whatever, but I think it's important to try and figure that out. We're all still trying to figure that out, probably. And, and if Ralph. you ever decide to give up uh, making the documentaries with no clip, you can. Uh, I think you can write a best-selling self-help book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think what we, we, we leave it there with uh, Danny and Colm, and I would like to thank, uh, I must say this, I must thank the National Forum for uh, Teaching and Learning, who have uh, funded the day today mm. uh, to help get Danny over and chat to our students and our staff about uh, the games uh, industry, digital storytelling, and a whole other of other aspects. Uh, appreciate your time. Thanks. Uh, we wish you all the best with what you do with No Clip, the documentaries you produce into the future. Uh, I'm an avid watcher. Um, I live vicariously through because I don't get to play too many games. So, oh, now I know a little bit about the Outer Wilds that I will <laughs> say I'll play someday, but I probably won't. Um, you know, there you go. Uh, but I leave you with a small little, tiny little story. Years and years and years and years ago, uh, I think it was back in 1999 or the year 2000, I was working as a developer in uh, Cambridge mm. in the UK. And uh, a friend of mine sent me a link 
via email, which was how things were shared on social media back in those days, to a website that some young fella had set up for De La Salle College, which is where I had gone to school back in the day. And it was the Jammy Blah. And am I correct in saying, Danny O'Dwyer, that you set up the Jammy Blah? Yeah, it was our, it was, uh, I the first website I made for the community in Waterford was for skateboarders, because that's where all my mates were. And we just shared pictures of it. And then, yeah, we made a, we made it wasn't just for Della Salle, we also had the girls from the Earth Line and uh, of course you did. Yeah, Very important. Totally. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was uh it's before Facebook. I'm not gonna say we made a social network, but it was uh it was just like a message board and a place for people to share their work. Uh but yeah, the Jammy Blah. It was a uh, we we had no chance of expansion outside of Waterford. <laughs> well <laughs> that way. No, and for anyone from outside of water who maybe doesn't understand what the Jammy Blah is, you can look it up. But Danny, you are. The Jammy Blast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks very much. Check us out at machine underscore podcast on Twitter and all that other social media rubbish. Right. Thank you very much.